Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. Our New Testament reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. Selected verses from the 15th chapter. Listen once again to the Word of God. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. There is a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a far country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Sometimes when we say rash, or ridiculous things, we know it immediately. On the TV game show, Family Feud, Steve Harvey, the host, asked this question. At which month will a pregnant woman begin to show? One contestant hit the buzzer and said, September. (laughs) And soon as she said it, she realized that No, that's not quite right. Sometimes when we say things silly or ridiculous, we know it immediately. Late one night when I was working as a chaplain in a trauma hospital, my beeper paged me to go to the trauma room, and down I went. There I encountered some parents. Their two teenage daughters, it was a Saturday night, their two teenage daughters were going out having fun when a drunk driver slammed into them their car. The two girls were flown to the hospital, and when I went down, the trauma room was working on them. When I sat down with the mother and father, as you can imagine, they were beside themselves. They were tense. They were afraid, deathly afraid. Word soon came that, yes, they were seriously injured, but they were going to be okay. They sighed a big sigh of relief, and we continued talking. And they began to chuckle and laugh about how difficult it is to raise teenagers. And one of them, laughing, said, thank goodness it only lasts seven years. And with that, as soon as I heard those words, I said to them, yeah, sometimes those teenagers, don't you just want to kill them? Oh, no. As soon as I said it, I realized what I had said. And all the color flushed out of our cheeks. And we just sort of stared there. And then we moved on to 
other topics of conversation. Immediately, I knew what I had said. Sometimes when we speak rashly or hastily, we know immediately when we have said something foolish or ridiculous or even stupid. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes it takes weeks, months, years for us to realize that perhaps our words hastily spoken had been hurtful or inappropriate or offensive. And something like that, something like that seems to be going on in this morning's New Testament reading. Something about the younger son speaking rashly, ridiculously, selfishly, and yet he did not recognize it at the moment. We do not know exactly how long the younger brother squandered his inheritance in dissolute living. By the way, I love that phrase, dissolute living. I'm not sure really what it means, but my imagination has a lot of fun going there. Uh, he, he squandered his property in dissolute living. His money ran out, and the consequences of his words and actions caught up with him. Listen to how Eugene Peterson translates this passage. He signed on with a citizen who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry he would have eaten the corn cob in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. He was hungry, he was miserable, he was alone, and we can trace it all back to that day when he stuck his foot in his mouth. He went up to his father and he said, give me what's coming to me, I want my inheritance. Rash words, hurtful words, hasty words. The, in that context, the younger brother was, was essentially saying to the father, I want nothing to do with you. I wish you were dead. On that day, he plunged a dagger into his father's heart. Now, I doubt, at least I hope, that the son did not consciously intend to hurt his father. He just didn't care. He was lost. Lost in a world of lust and greed and self-absorption. That's not unusual, is it? When we are concerned with our own needs, aren't we then most blinded to the needs of others? When we are worn out and tired and weary, isn't that the time we will most likely say something that we regret? When disease or death or violence or frailty has left us bitter, and angry and empty, are we then most prone to say something that will be hurtful, particularly those whom we love the most? And that's what the younger son did. He hurt his father. He forgot how deeply his father loved him, and he forgot how deeply he needed his father's love. He landed in a pigsty, a two-bit job feeding swine. He was dejected, he was desperate, but to whom did he turn in his hour of need? He turned, he turned back to his father. Now, let me pause here just to say that um, while it might not be exactly appropriate, whenever I think about the younger son, the word idiot comes to mind. 
He is selfish. He is self-absorbed. He cares for no one but himself. And so I, I, I like the word idiot. And uh, I, I think he, I think he, he was an idiot. He annoys me, and he aggravates me. As the older, oldest son of three sons, I, I tend to identify with the older son who is the responsible one, the one who wants to follow the rules, the one who wants to be responsible and take care of his father. It reminds me, sometimes when I'm visiting my mother and father, I, I will say to them, Mama and Daddy, you know, the, the three of us had a good thing going. Why in the world did you bring two and three into the picture? I just don't get it. And then we will just laugh and laugh and laugh. But I, I have trouble with the younger son in the story because he is lost in self-absorption. He cares about himself and really no one else. And that gets to me. That, that, that just gets to me. He annoys me. He, he irritates me. And yet, as much as I don't want to admit it, if we pay attention to this younger son, if we listen closely to him, if we see what really, really happened to him, we might discover something surprising and remarkable about the love of God. For while I have never lost my inheritance in dissolute living, I can identify with this younger brother. Luke says at the end of the, today's text that no one gave him anything. He was isolated, bereft, cut off, alone. And in that moment, in that moment when he's at the bottom of that pigsty and the corn cobs look good to eat, in that moment, I hurt for him. In that moment, there's a part of me that can identify with his sense of lostness and aloneness and isolation. I, and I'm wondering today then, have you ever felt isolated and alone in the world? Have you ever been at the end of your rope, desperate and hungry? Have you ever hungered for embrace or reassurance? Have you ever heard, ever, ever yearned for an abiding sense of reassurance that when all is said and done, no matter what I have said or what I have done, regardless of how often I stick my foot in my mouth, that I am loved? He irritates me, but I feel for him. He reminds me of me in some ways. He reminds me of so many people I encounter in the world who when you get rid of all the other distractions in their lives, deep down they are terribly, painfully alone. When we can get rid of the distractions, wow. And those moments we wonder, yeah. Does God really love me? Is there a God? What purpose and meaning might we make out of life? I have shared this story with some of you. Uh, when I was working at a church in New Jersey, I often visited a woman by the name of Ethel. Ethel was in her early 90s at the time. She was virtually blind and basically deaf and she could not get out of her bed, except occasionally she was able to sit in a chair. And so when I would go to visit Ethel, I would get my chair and slide it right up next to her bed so I could speak into her right ear. I would walk in and sit down and go, uh, Ethel, 
It's Patrick. I'm from the church. And then she would slowly just flutter her eyes and look and then turn her face towards me. And one day, that's exactly what I did. I, Ethel, this is Patrick. I'm from the church. And she turned toward me and I, I held her hand with the one hand and she began to smile and she looked, but then she looked very, very puzzled and she lifted up her hand and she stroked the side of my face and she asked, is this real? Is this real? She asked me. It's one of the most profound questions I have ever been asked. Is this real? Have you ever been in a situation when you were asking a similar question? It, 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 is God's love real? Can we really trust God with our lives? Will God be faithful to us no matter what we are going through? I've been in that position, and I, I suspect all of us in one way or another have been in that position of wanting to look up to God and say, wait, God, God, are you real? Whether it's a hurricane or divorce or aging or cancer or unemployment or divorce or violence, one way or another, most of us will find ourselves asking that same question. Is this real? And Luke gives us the answer. Luke writes, when the sun was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he raced out, embraced him, and kissed him. And that's the good news of the story. Yes, God's love is real. Yes, the father does not give up on this idiotic younger son. Yes, God will open up God's arms and welcome us into God's embrace. And yet, if we stop here, we would have missed the other part of the good news of this story. Do you remember what happens to the older son, not the responsible one? He's angry. He's filled with self-righteous indignation. How can you give this worthless son of yours a party because he's back? How could you ever think to do that? And while, while the younger son has been isolated in his poverty and despair, the older son now is also isolated in his self-righteousness and his anger and his bitterness. Uh, the younger son is not the only one in need in this story. The older son also is in need, and the father goes to him and with the, with the same spirit of love, embraces the older son as well. We can find many, many different ways to lose ourselves in the far country, the far country of loneliness and isolation, the far country of bitterness and anger, but whatever far country we find ourselves into, God sees us coming in the distance and rushes up to us with arms like this. L.A. Law was a popular TV show in the late 80s. It was popular among some of my classmates and seminary, and when Deb and I graduated, she and I also began to watch L.A. Law. 
Uh, some of you might remember that it traced the exploits of these lawyers and an exclusive firm in L.A. Some of the more intriguing characters in this series, however, were not the lawyers, but some peripheral characters, namely Benny and Murray. Benny worked at the law firm. He was intellectually disabled in some way, but he did odds and ends for the other lawyers. Murray was the father of one of the secretaries. He was now in his late 60s, and he had Alzheimer's disease. Somehow, Benny and Murray became roommates. One afternoon, Benny goes bouncing into the apartment door with a Christmas tree. Christmas is just on that coming Tuesday. He's excited and he wants to celebrate. But when he goes into the living room, he sees that Murray is sitting at the television with the remote control, getting more and more frustrated. Where is the second game? Where's the second game of the World Series? I can't find it. And he sees Murray, he sees Benny with the Christmas tree and Murray blasts Benny. What are you doing? You can't bring a Christmas tree in here in October. You'll be dead by Christmas. And Benny picks up the newspaper and rushes over to his friend, points to the date and says, no, no, it's December. You're having your Alzheimer's again. It's December, get that thing away from me. And Murray stands up and his anger rushes over to the tree and throws it down on the ground. But Benny, his roommate, is right behind him. Murray yells out, Christmas? This is not Christmas. Christmas is a house full of people and eggnog and gifts and Christmas trees and celebrating. Do you see any people around? Do you see anyone here? Benny holds him in his arms and says, we're here. No, no, it's not Christmas. Let me go, let me go. And Benny says, no. And he holds on closely and tightly to his dear friend and reassures him that in his lostness that he had been found. This is the way, my friends, that God's love comes to us. We are lost. Poverty, violence, despair, grief, illness, whatever. We are lost. And we're saying, get away, get away. And God says, no. No, I got you. No, I'll hold you. No, I'll never give up on you. Is this real? What do you think? Amen.